Yo! How you doing everyone? Eric Yuswa here with the Summons from Gallifrey podcast. This is a regular podcast that talks about Doctor Who and all of his adventures in time and space. In this episode, we're going to be covering the first story of the fourth Doctor, played by Tom Baker, and that is Robot. So like I was saying, this is the first story of season 12. It was directed by Christopher Berry, written by Terence Dix, script editor of Robert Holmes, produced by Barry Lutz, and last but not least, music by Dudley Simpson. It was first broadcast in December 28th, 1974. We have a new tunnel intro for this 12th season. A favorite technique for the show is to couch the regeneration and the first stories with familiar elements for the audience. For William Hartnell, we had the companions of Ben and Polly guiding the viewer through the regeneration into Patrick Troughton. For Patrick Troughton, we had a familiarity with Unit to guide us into Pertwee's first story. So here again, we have Sarah Jane and Unit guiding us from John Pertwee into Tom Baker's first story. Barry Letts, who was the producer during most of the John Pertwee era since 1970, agreed to stay on to see the transition into this new doctor. After Robot, Barry Letts was replaced by Philip Hinchliffe following him in the producer role. Terence Dix, who was also a longtime script editor, was leaving at the same time, with the job now falling onto the plate of Robert Holmes who had written several Doctor Who stories, including John Pertwee's first story, as you might remember, Spearhead from Space. The initial ideas of Robot were inspired from King Kong, and we'll definitely dig into that when we get there. The first few drafts of the script were written before Tom Baker was cast in the role, and there were rumors at the time that the part was going to be given to an older actor. So in order to handle the action sequences, they decided to come up with a younger younger part to take on that responsibility. Enter Harry Sullivan. But as the production grew closer and Tom Baker taking the role, more of Harry's action was either taken by Sarah Jane or by the doctor himself, leaving Harry Sullivan with very little to do throughout these four episodes. Tom Baker himself is a story of a case of you never know until you try. After a few movies in the early 1970s, Tom had no acting work and was relying on construction at the time, kind of similar to Harrison Ford's story and Star Wars. He wrote to Bill Slater, the head of serials at the BBC, asking for work. Bill passed his name on to Barry Letts, who had seen The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and jumped at the chance to hire Tom. And the rest is history. He would be the fourth Doctor for seven years, which is the longest of any other Doctor. So with that intro out of the way, let's get started right in the synopsis. Episode 1. We start right at the tail end of Planet of the Spiders. The Doctor regenerates into Tom Baker. The Brigadier picks up the phone and calls for a medic. Enter Dr. Harry Sullivan, while Sarah Jane is kneeling next to the Doctor. The Doctor sits up and tries to reassure him that things are fine, but he's talking almost nonsense. He's pretty manic. 
Dr. Harry Sullivan reports to the lab and heads to the doctor to take a cursory look. Meanwhile, Sergeant Benton comes in with a report for the brigadier. He can't help but notice that the doctor has regenerated, which is of course confirmed by the brigadier. Sullivan orders the doctor to be taken to sickbay for examination. The brigadier makes a remark that everything is pretty quiet, which of course jinxes everything. Thanks a lot, brigadier. We cut to a guard, oh wait, we cut to some ominous music and a guard standing outside of a gate. We're seeing things through, through the eyes of something else. Imagine that we're looking through a plastic visor with the screen divided up into a grid. In front of us, we're looking at two claw-like hands, which are always in view. The guard notices us, but doesn't do anything until we're right on top of him. He pulls out a gun, but our claw kills him right away, and then they tear through an, electrifi an electrified fence with ease. We keep moving towards this top-secret building very, very slowly, and smash through a door. Inside the room, we're walking towards a safe as our pincer hands are going crazy. Our claw pulls open the safe, and we grab a folder marked Top Secret. Thank goodness. Cut to Unit HQ with the Brigadier and Sarah Jane. The Brigadier reveals that the stolen plans are from some new top secret weaponry called a disintegrator gun. The Brigadier figures it was a small commando squad as there were some heavy vehicle tracks found nearby. He misses having the doctor around to tell these things to. Sarah Jane then changes the topic to ask the Brigadier for a unit endorsed visitor's pass to get her into a research think tank called think tank. He agrees and they leave to go to his office. Sarah Jane brings up some concerns about Harry Sullivan being old-fashioned, but the brigadier vouches for him. And just after they walk past in the hallway, we see the doctor sneaking behind them to get into the lab carrying his boots. He's looking around the lab and he spots the TARDIS. He then gives this gigantically huge smile. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. He tries the doors to the TARDIS and they're locked. He checks his pockets for the key and then as a callback to John Pertwee and Spirit from Space, he checks his boots and sure enough the key is in one of them, same as it was with John Pertwee. Just as he's about to go inside, Sullivan appears behind him with a there you are. He's urging the doctor to return to sickbay, but the doctor begins to protest, saying that he feels just fine. Sullivan keeps arguing that he hasn't given the doctor clearance to leave yet, as he's not fit. But the doctor recoils at those words and tries to prove Harry wrong. He judo chops a brick that was sitting on a desk for some reason, and then starts running in place for a few moments. He grabs the end of Sullivan's stethoscope and puts it over both of his hearts, one at a time, while Harry is rushing to take a listen. The doctor explains that they must be patient. A new body is like a new house. It takes some time to settle in. The doctor walks over to a nearby mirror and notices his reflection for the first time. He's not overly impressed, but he likes the new nose. He then turns around to face Sullivan and starts to mention that he's a busy man with things to do and places to go. He shakes Harry's hand and tries to walk out the door, but Harry quickly gets in front of him and blocks his way. He's still not convinced that the doctor is ready to be released and needs more time in the sick bay. The doctor desperately searches for another way to prove his readiness, 
and spots a long rope or tubing. As Harry is warning the doctor about heart complications, the doctor moves close to Harry and starts jumping rope, getting Harry to join in. They actually make a good go of it. I wonder how many takes it took to do this one sequence. But there's no edits, it's just one continuous shot of the two of them doing jump rope. We then dissolve to the Brigadier and Sarah Jane coming into the lab at some later time. Could be five or ten minutes. They don't see anyone in the room, but they find Harry upside down in a nearby locker. The TARDIS starts to dematerialize when Sarah Jane runs over and starts banging on the door. The TARDIS stops, and the doctor opens the door, saying that he must leave, and he really hates goodbyes. He tries to leave again, but Sarah Jane tells him that he can't go. He's needed by the Brigadier. This seems to hold the doctor's interest, so the Brigadier then remembers the theft of the disintegrator gun, while Sarah Jane reminds the doctor that he's still Unit's scientific advisor. The doctor's memory starts coming back to him as he shakes the Brigadier's hand, recounting the Brigadier's full name, and he likewise does the same thing to a smiling Sarah Jane Smith. And our adventure begins! We cut back to that multi-screen view we saw earlier of whatever creature we're inside. This time it looks like we're in broad daylight as we approach another electrified fence. Same deal, we see a claw thing just inside our view cutting right through it. This time there's a guard inside the room that we are trying to get into. The dude is reading the paper when the double door starts bulging as if something was pushing from the outside. He runs over and puts on this laughably small piece of wood to hold the door. It's not even a 2x4. This thing is tiny. The door bulges again and bursts open. The guard picks up the phone and tries to call someone, but he's knocked down with one claw while the other claw destroys the phone. We then see the claws looking for a specific container on a nearby shelf. Back at Unit HQ, the Brigadier comes back into the lab looking for the doctor to tell him about the latest robbery. Harry tells the Brigadier that the doctor's in the TARDIS, at which point the door opens and the doctor comes out in a Viking uniform with sword and shield. The Brigadier's face tells him it's the wrong outfit, so he tries again. The doctor comes back out wearing a circus clown costume. The Brigadier shakes his head. The doctor then emerges from the TARDIS wearing the familiar 100-foot-long scarf around his neck with a long coat and felt hat. Before the Brigadier can say anything, the doctor starts walking out the door of the lab, urging the Brigadier to tell him everything about the theft along the way. Cut to Sullivan looking at the broken-up chain-link fence, with the Brigadier looking on in dismay. The doctor carefully holds up a crushed dandelion in his hand. He shows it to Harry and the Brigadier, who just rolls his eyes. Harry assumes that it was stepped on. The doctor nods and says that he calculates based on the resistance to pressure of vegetable fiber. It was stepped on something that weighed a quarter of a ton. They go inside the room, and the brigadier presents the doctor with a list of what was taken, making a note that a lot of other valuable things were left untouched. The doctor reads the list, making a comment that it's just the right amount of materials to create control circuitry for a disintegrator gun the mention of which makes the eyes of the Brigadier pop out of his head. Cut to Sarah Jane pulling up to the think tank compound. She greets the director and the assistant and makes the classic mistake of assuming the male is the director. 
Once the director corrects Sarah Jane, she kind of gives an embarrassed smile. Cut back to the doctor, the brigadier, and Harry Sullivan. The doctor's not yet sure who is behind the robberies, but now that the plans for the disintegrator gun have been stolen, along with the control circuitry, he points out to, to the brigadier that the obvious target for the next robbery is the focus generator. The brigadier gets on the radio, and we hear his familiar call sign, Greyhound leader to trap one. Benton picks it up, and the brigadier orders Benton to get to Emmett's Electronics, which is a small factory in Essex. He wants every available man there along with air cover. The brigadier mentions that by the time he gets there, he wants the place locked up tighter than Fort Knox. Which only works if you understand what and where Fort Knox is. Anyways, back to Sarah Jane. The director and her assistant are giving Sarah Jane a standard tour of the complex, explaining that once they figure out something via research, it's handed over to someone else with usually a lot more money. Sarah Jane casually drops in a mention of the disintegrator gun. The director smiles but makes an observation that Sarah Jane shouldn't know about the gun. Sarah Jane gives her an oops type of apology, then before she, the others can do anything, she marches her way through a nearby door. She arrives in an empty room, noticing the name J.P. Kettlewell on the door, and that this lab space was being used for robotics. Sarah Jane remembers that there was an incident at the Research Institute a few months ago when Kettlewell was asked to leave. The director successfully manages to get Sarah Jane out of the room and to continue the tour, but on their way out, Sarah Jane slips a little bit on something on the floor. She can't quite see it. Back in Emmett's electronics, we have pretty much every soldier in unit forming a perimeter and guarding the factory. There's jeeps with anti-tank guns and mortar groups set up. There's troops just running around throughout the whole perimeter of this factory complex. The Brigadier Sullivan and the Doctor pull up, just in time to hear a helicopter above circle around to patrol the area. Benton reports that all of the focusing generators have been moved to a bunker within their perimeter and locked inside a casket. The Brigadier calls the site impregnable, which the Doctor refuses to believe as the word rhymes with unsinkable. The Doctor mentions that they've forgotten to cover one direction, from below. As if on cue, we cut to the inside of the bunker containing the casket of the focusing generators, and our familiar ominous music come back so comes back on. There's a rumble, and then a large shrill comes up through the floor. A nearby unit soldier hears something and opens the bunker to investigate, quickly opening fire. At the sound of the gunfire, the brigadier, the doctor, and Sullivan come running. The soldier is dead. Picture a massive hole in the middle of the floor and the focusing generators are gone. The doctor takes his abnormally long scarf and uses it to measure the depth of the hole. It's deep. Meanwhile, Sarah Jane has tracked down Professor Kettlewell, who's been researching alternative energy sources. He admits that he cut ties with the think tank. When Sarah Jane asks him about the possibility of someone continuing his work in robotics without him, he states that nobody else would be able to as he's the only one good enough. He then ends the conversation and her visit. Sarah Jane gets back out to her car, and then she has an idea. 
She pulls out her visitor's pass to the think tank, and conveniently enough, it's valid until 4pm of that day. So she zooms off, back towards the think tank. Meanwhile, Benting is pointing out the other end of the tunnel to the brigadier and the doctor. It's not a proper tunnel, meaning that whoever used it wouldn't be able to breathe. The doctor makes a comment that perhaps whoever used the tunnel didn't need to breathe. Back at the think tank, Sarah Jane is bluffing her way past the guard with the help of the pass. While the guard goes off to make a phone call, Sarah Jane sneaks out of her car and climbs a nearby wall to get into the grounds of the think tank. Her goal is to get another look at that empty lab space that Kettlewell was using. She finds her way back to the lab and confirms that what she slipped on earlier was a puddle of oil on the ground. Suddenly a nearby door opens and a giant robot is staring down at her. It starts walking towards Sarah Jane asking who she is and why she's there. Sarah Jane just keeps backing away as the robot gets closer and closer. Cliffhanger! Episode 2 Sarah Jane manages to get out of the door and runs right into the director. She starts to warn her about the robot, but the, the director calmly assures her that there's nothing to worry about. When they heard that Sarah Jane had returned, she and her assistant assumed that it was to try and see the robot, so they arranged for it. They call it a little joke. Sarah Jane is calming down a little, but she wants to see the robot again. The director nods to her assistant. Meanwhile, the brigadier is throwing around ideas. He's still stumped. He suggests that there's another alien invasion force. But the doctor shoots down the theory. Why would aliens invade to steal a weapon? Theoretically, they'd already have technology that would be far superior. The brigadier then suggests enemy agents. The doctor admits that while enemy agents might steal the plans, why would they also steal the circuits and generators? Any foreign government would already have those. He's convinced that they're looking for a homegrown enemy, and one that's prepared to kill. Back at the think tank, the robot comes out again announcing that it is a prototype. The director tells Sarah Jane it's voice controlled, so Sarah Jane asks the robot its purpose. It begins to scroll through the dangerous human tasks that it might replace, such as mining, hand handling radioactive materials, stealing weapon plans. I I'm kidding on that last one. Although it would have been funny if they put that in. Sarah Jane asks why all the secrecy and hiding from her first visit. The director bluntly tells her that it's still highly secret research. Sarah Jane apologizes, and the assistant gives her a smile that an apology isn't necessary. She was just following her instincts as a good journalist. I mean, talk about suspicious dialogue. This guy delivers it in such a creepy way. Sarah Jane asks him if the robot is dangerous. It could easily be used to hurt humans. With a nod between them, the assistant shuts the door and the director declares to the robot that Sarah Jane is a spy and must be destroyed. The robot takes a few steps towards Sarah Jane and then freezes. It announces that it cannot violate its prime directive. The director stops the robot. The assistant explains that the prime directive is built into the robot's very being. That it won't harm humans. 
Sarah Jane gets upset at the director as she feels it was a cruel thing to do to the robot. She walks over to the robot and asks if it's okay. The robot tells her it is fine and doesn't feel any emotion, so there's no need to feel sorrow. After Sarah Jane leaves, the assistant tells her that it was a dangerous thing to do. What if the inhibitor on the robot glitched and it had killed Sarah? From the director's smile, it was pretty much a rumor response here. A plan with no drawbacks. Back at Unit HQ, the doctor is tinkering with some electronics, trying to point out to the brigadier that it shouldn't be hard to track down a group with a large amount of resources capable to find. And Sarah Jane finishes this sentence with a giant robot that's over seven feet tall. Sarah Jane runs over to the brigadier, telling him and the doctor that she's seen the robot and that something very odd is going on at the think tank. Back at the robot lab, the assistant and the director are performing some kind of operation on the robot's head. It's pitch black with a single light on them, so you know they're up to no good. The assistant is doing a few things to the robot's head with a screwdriver and then replaces the head back on the robot body. He comments that this isn't his field of expertise. They activate the robot, then the director starts up a projector. She's showing the robot a photo of some diplomat and tells the robot that this person is an enemy of the human race and must be destroyed. Cut back to Unit HQ. The Brigadier agrees about Sarah Jane's suspicions of the think tank, but he, meet, he needs more proof before he can do anything. Sullivan comes up with a plan to send in an inside man to keep an eye on them, then suddenly finds out that he's the best qualified as a medical doctor. The doctor wants to visit Kettlewell. At Kettlewell's place, he acts incredibly unhelpful and argumentative to Sarah Jane and the Brigadier, until the doctor points out a flaw in some of his math calculations. He gains some respect for the doctor, enough so to finally talk about the robot. It was his last project at the think tank, and he had ordered it dismantled before he left. He couldn't bear to be there for it, as he felt it was like killing his own son. Sarah Jane asks if it was possible to override the Prime Directive, and Kettlewell admits that while it's possible, it would likely drive the robot mad. Cut to the diplomat's house. You can hear a lot of alarms in the background, and this diplomat dude runs into his office and locks the door. He opens a door in the wall to his safe, and he sees that it's still intact. Just as he picks up his phone, the wall nearest to him starts glowing red and melts away, thanks to the robot and the disintegrator gun. The robot comes into the room declaring this dude an enemy of the human race, and kills him easily with his claw hand. The robot turns and uses the disintegrator gun on the safe, and takes the folder inside it. Back at Unit HQ, the Brigadier mentions the theft and acknowledges that, they had, that the disintegrator gun was used. The dude was some kind of cabinet minister working in security. The Brigadier mentions that a background check on the think tank people didn't turn up anything other than most of them belonging to a Scientific Reform Society, the SRS. Basically a crank group that wants to reform the world based on rational and scientific ideas. The Brigadier calls them harmless, but 
he's noticed a recent surge in scientists joining the group. Sarah Jane decides to look into this SRS group the next day, while the doctor decides it's time for a visit to the think tank with the brigadier. Later that night, Kettlewell is working in his house when he hears knocking. He opens a big door to see that it's the robot. It tells him that he's been given orders that violate his prime directive, and it needs help. The next day at the SRS office, Sarah Jane is talking with a recruitment officer, who confirms that the elite should be in charge as they're much smarter than the average person. While the average person should be kept away from harmful ideas or influences, they talk for a bit, and he admits that she shouldn't be wearing what she's wearing. Under their rule, she'd be told what to wear. She resists the temptation to argue back, and notices that there's a meeting that evening. But the dude gets pretty upset, He's, and he tells Sarah Jane that it's a private meeting for members only, and she doesn't measure up to their high standards. Meanwhile, the doctor and brigadier are on a tour of the grounds with the director until the doctor just lets himself into Professor Kettlewell's old lab looking for the robot. The director is running after him and informs them that they've sent the robot away for dismantling. She partially blames the previous visit of Sarah Jane, mentioning that the robot started to become unstable. The doctor and the brigadier leave the think tank not believing a word of it, but the director tells her assistant that she doesn't believe that they believed it either. The assistant informs her that due to an ancient bylaw from the Ministry of Health, there is a need for a complete medical checkup on all staff. And guess who's arrived to do this checkup? Harry Sullivan posing as a director from the Ministry. Back at Unit HQ, the doctor and brigadier are going through more theories. The doctor is well aware that the director doesn't believe that the doctor believed her story. Either the robot has wandered off or they're hiding it. The Brigadier leaves the lab to try and convince the Minister to let him raid the think tank. The phone rings in the lab, and the doctor picks up. It's Professor Kettlewell. He tells the doctor that the robot is with him and he needs the doctor's help. It's not well at all. The doctor types a note for everyone, with the goofiest of musical cues, by the way, and he heads out. Meanwhile, on the other end, Kettlewell hangs up the phone. There's a knock on his door, and as he opens it, the director and her assistant come barging into Kettlewell's place. The doctor books it, driving Bessie as fast as he can over to the professor's house. Sarah Jane and Benton come into the unit HQ lab. Benton reveals that he's been promoted to warrant officer within unit. Sarah Jane barely gets a congratulations out of her mouth before noticing the typewritten note from the doctor. He's mentioned that he's gone to Kettlewell's, who has the robot, and is leaving the note in case it's a trap. Sarah Jane and Benton run off to follow the doctor. Meanwhile, the doctor enters an empty Kettlewell house. He looks around a bit, calling the professor's name, but nobody responds. He turns on a light, and the robot suddenly appears, asking the doctor to confirm his identity. The doctor reveals that he is the doctor. The robot has declared the doctor an enemy to the human race and starts to move towards the doctor. There's a bit of dodging around Kettlewell's house as the robot stomps around pretty clumsily, 
trying to hit the doctor with its claw. The doctor tries to confuse the robot by mentioning the Prime Directive, but it doesn't really work. The doctor manages to put his hat over the face of the robot, which temporarily causes it to freeze. And as the doctor takes a step towards it to check it out again, the robot suddenly knocks him down with its claw arm. Down on the ground, the robot stomps towards the doctor. Cliffhanger! Episode 3 Sarah Jane pulls up to Kettlewell's ahead of Benton. She runs into the house just before the robot can kill the doctor, and she screams at it, begging the robot to stop. She tells the robot that the doctor is a friend of humanity, not the enemy. The robot recognizes Sarah Jane as the one who felt sorrow for it. The robot starts to thrash a little bit, feeling pain and being confused. Just then, Benton and his men arrive. They yell at Sarah Jane to duck down, and they open fire on the robot with machine guns. The robot is immune to their bullets, and he starts stomping out of the house. Benton runs back in to check on the doctor and Sarah Jane. She's not too thrilled that they decided to shoot the robot, but she understands why. They hear a thumping sound. Benton opens a nearby cupboard, and a tied-up Professor Kettlewell falls out. Back at Unit HQ, Kettlewell is explaining that the robot came to him in terrible distress after being forced to kill another human, going against his prime directive. He explains that Miss Winters, the director, and the assistant came over while he was waiting for the doctor. He protested, but they altered his programming again. Then tied up the professor and stuffed him into the cupboard. The professor mentions to Benton that the robot is made of a special bioorganic metal that allows the robot to grow. More on that later. Kettlewell then notices the SRS card that Sarah Jane had brought in earlier. Turns out he's a member, but he only ever went to one meeting. Of course this triggers a light bulb in Sarah Jane, and she suggests that they both go undercover to the meeting. The professor can sneak her in, and she'll bring a recorder for evidence to give to the brigadier. Benton tries to stop them, but since they're not actual members of UNIT, he's got no real power. At the SRS meeting, the director's assistant is at the door, checking membership cards. He of course recognizes Kettlewell, but he lets him in. Back at UNIT HQ, the brigadier is furious at Benton, but changes the topic quickly when Benton points out that they're not really attached to UNIT, and what would the brigadier do? He's annoyed that he hasn't yet gotten the permission from the minister, but the doctor walks into the room, convinced that they have to make a room. He's annoyed that he hasn't yet gotten the permission from the minister, but the doctor walks into the room, convinced that they have to make a move. He's worked it out while he was unconscious. The recently killed minister had a file of secrets on USA, Russia, and China. It contains some nuclear missile codes from each of those countries. Basically, this group that took the codes now have the ability to blackmail the world. The Brigadier tells the doctor about the SRS meeting and how Sarah Jane has gone off with Kettlewell. The doctor is furious that they let Kettlewell go. Meanwhile, at the secret meeting, Kettlewell is opening a side door to let Sarah Jane inside. He tells her that he's found a spot where she can hide. Sarah Jane is hidden behind some obvious crates, recording the meeting while she overhears the director shouting at the crowd, 
how their years of meticulous planning is just about to pay off. I mean, she's practically right in front of the director. It's... Uh, anyways, if you see it, you would, you would just shake your head. The director says that they owe it all to one man. One man who had the creative genius to see it all through. And guess who that one man is? Go on, guess. Yes, it's Kettlewell. Ah! Big shocker. Kettlewell comes on stage with a small gasp from Sarah Jane. The director announces that Kettlewell has given them the symbol and emblem of their new world order. She pulls open a curtain to reveal the robot. The crowd of maybe 15 people max gasp at this. I'd say it's more like 10. Meanwhile, the doctor is outside trying to bluff his way past the door guard. He's emptying his pockets, claiming to look for the SRS pass. It's not working, and eventually as the guard tries to take a swing at the doctor, he trips on the doctor's long scarf. Back in the meeting, the director shouts that with the help of Robot, it will seek out and destroy their enemies. At the phrase, seek out and destroy, the robot comes to life. It starts to stomp towards the obvious pile of crates that Sarah Jane is hiding behind. It slowly stomps closer and finally knocks over the, the crates to reveal Sarah Jane. Just then, the doctor comes into the room and tries to entertain the meeting crowd with some jokes and card tricks. It gets a few laughs, but the director orders the nearby guards to grab the doctor. As he's being held, the doctor asks the professor why he's doing this. He says that for years his pleas to save the planet from man's wasteful arrogance has been falling on deaf ears. He wants to change that. He only wants the doctor and Sarah Jane locked up, but the director orders them both killed. Just then, the Brigadier and Benton storm into the meeting room firing some warning shots. In the confusion, the doctor falls over a table playing dead while the director grabs Sarah Jane and uses her as a shield. The director, Sarah Jane, the assistant, Kettlewell, and the robot make their way out of the meeting hall to their truck, using both the robot and Sarah Jane as a shield. The unit soldiers are firing at them anyways, completely missing the assistant, who's, I mean, he's like three steps behind the robot, so he's pretty much a wide open target. It's like this, the unit soldiers basically have Empire Stormtrooper accuracy at this point. There's tons of bullets flying around. The director and Kettlewell herds Sarah Jane into a moving truck as the assistant helps the stomping robot into the back, and then they drive off. I'm saying stomping robot a lot, by the way, because this robot moves very, very slowly. It just kind of stomps. Well, it doesn't kind of. It does stomp, stomp, stomp. Anyways, it moves pretty slowly, really slowly. The Brigadier and Benton return inside the hall to talk to the doctor. He tells them that it had to be Kettlewell, since he's the only one that could have reprogrammed the robot. He faked being injured and tied up in the cupboard to gain unit's confidence. Now they have Sarah Jane and the nuclear codes. They have to find them fast. The Brigadier suddenly gets a call from Sullivan, who's still at the think tank. He reports that the group is pulling out to some kind of bunker, but can't say much more because he's suddenly knocked unconscious by the director's assistant. 
the brigadier mentions to the doctor about the bunker. We then cut to the doctor and brigadier driving in Bessie, followed by Benton with unit troops in a transport truck. They pull up to a bunker that the think tank had built just before the Cold War. They stop their vehicles and they start to make their way up a small hill towards the bunker. Inside, the director and the assistant are watching unit advance on some security cameras. The director enables the automated defenses and some machine guns start firing at the unit soldiers. They miss only because the doctor warned everyone just moments before. The director then radios the brigadier. They've already sent their list of demands to the governments around the world. The brigadier hangs up, then tells Benton to grab some grenades and take out the machine gun nests. The unit soldiers blow up the few machine guns, and then the doctor uses his sonic screwdriver to send out a high-pitched sound, which explodes some landmines that were laid near the bunker entrance. The doctor and the unit soldiers then get to the bunker doors, which are sealed shut. The doctor uses another attachment on his sonic screwdriver to start cutting through the door lock. Uh, picture Qui-Gon-Gi when he was shoving his lightsaber into the bridge doors at the beginning of Phantom Menace. That's what the doctor's doing to these doors. Inside the bunker, the director orders the professor to start working on using the nuclear codes while they send out the robot armed with a disintegrator gun to deal with unit. The assistant runs into the storage room where Harry and Sarah Jane are being held and pulls out the disintegrator gun. He fits it onto the robot's arm and tells it that the enemies of humanity are outside and need to be destroyed. Sarah Jane is trying to stop the robot, but it stomps towards the bunker doors. On the other side, the doctor is close to getting inside when he feels the doors opening. Unit and the doctor all fall back down the hill behind their trucks as the robot comes out. A single soldier left on the field starts firing at the robot, but it turns towards him and kills him instantly with the disintegrator gun. A tank pulls up to the bunker and starts to turn its turret towards the robot, but before it can shoot, the robot disintegrates the tank. The robot shouts out to them all, saying, Go! Go now, or I will destroy you! Cliffhanger! Episode 4. Here's the finale, folks. The director is watching the robot on the monitors and smiles in satisfaction. She walks over to Kettlewell to check on him. He asks her if they're really going to use the nuclear codes or if they're going to surrender. She definitely wants to fire those missiles. She orders the professor to start the countdown, which triggers a giant 300 number behind the professor to start counting down on a monitor. Outside, the doctor and brigadier know that they can't just sit there. The doctor tells the brigadier to try and draw the robot away while he sneaks behind it to try and finish opening the doors. Inside, the director has the brilliant idea to leave the control room to check on the food stores to see how long they'll last once the missiles start firing. I mean, a good time to check is just as you fire the nuclear missiles, right? Ridiculous. They walk past the room with Harry and Sarah Jane. The director admits that they're useless as hostages, but they'll kill them later. Uh-huh. Back in the control room, Kettlewell starts to get just as conflicted as the robot is. Whether he wants to help this group or 
help save the world. Meanwhile, Sarah Jane has freed herself from her ropes and is helping Sullivan. Kettlewell lifts up a chair to destroy the computer, but the assistant rushes back into the room with a gun pointed at Kettlewell. Harry runs in right behind the assistant and knocks him out. The professor runs over to the computer and punches in a code to stop the timer at 60 seconds. He hits a switch which opens the main doors. The doctor and brigadier's men are coming up the hill towards the bunker when they see the doors open and Sarah Jane, Harry, and Kettlewell come out. Kettlewell and Sarah Jane both order the robot to stop killing people, but the robot declares that it must destroy the enemies of humanity. It's just about to fire at Sarah Jane when Kettlewell steps in front of the blast, and he's disintegrated instantly. The robot starts wailing in pain that he's killed his creator, and falls over. The brigadier and his men, along with Sarah Jane, Harry, and the doctor, rush back into the bunker. The director gets to the control room and sees on the monitors that Unit is coming. She punches in some more codes, which triggers the countdown clock to start clicking down again. The brigadier orders her to stop, but she just laughs. The doctor pushes her out of her chair and frantically starts punching in commands on the computer. The clock is now under 10 seconds and gets to 002 before stopping. Everyone sighs with relief. Sarah Jane slips away to look around the bunker when she stumbles right into the robot which kidnaps her. Unit and the doctor can't find Sarah Jane, so they start looking within a radius outside the bunker. The robot tells Sarah Jane that it will destroy the rest of humanity, but it will keep her safe inside the bunker. The robot senses that there's nobody left inside, so they leave their hiding place and make their way towards the command center. Back outside, the doctor is worried about Sarah Jane, but also concerned about the robot. What will they do when they find it? Suddenly Benton remembers that earlier conversation with Kettlewell, and he lets the doctor know that Kettlewell mentioned that the robot was built with some living metal, and that there is a virus that he was working on which destroys all metal. The doctor thinks it's brilliant, and he and Harry leave in Bessie to check out Kettlewell's apartment. Back inside the bunker, the robot and Sarah Jane are slowly making their way towards the command center when a unit soldier stumbles into them. Sarah Jane begs each of them to not shoot, and the robot lets the soldier run away. They get to the command center, and the robot punches in some new codes, which resets the countdown and starts it back at 300. When Sarah Jane asks the robot why it's doing this, it responds that since he killed his creator, he must fulfill the plans of his creator. Sarah Jane tries to argue that Kettlewell no longer wanted this, but the robot determines that mankind is unfit to survive. It will build a new race of machines just like him, which do not lie. The doctor is frantically looking through the professor's notes in his house, while we see a bunch of test tubes bubbling all around him. The brigadier radios them to let them know that the robot is still inside the bunker, with Sarah Jane, and there's no way to disrupt the power to the computers. The doctor tells the brigadier that they must get back to the major powers and warn them that the end emergency is not over. They must operate all fail-safe measures. 
Back inside the bunker, the timer has reached 20 and it's counting down when suddenly it stops. A big failsafe in giant letters comes onto the monitor. Sarah Jane is happy, but the robot is still wishing to kill humanity. Sarah Jane begs it to surrender, but the robot opens the doors for them to go back outside. Back in Kettlewell's house, Harry finds a small metal bar for the doctor. He pulls out some of the solution from a nearby beaker and tests it on the metal bar. With a big smile, he tells Harry that they've done it. Back on the hill, the Brigadier and Benton are just outside watching the bunker when suddenly the doors open and the robot with Sarah Jane come outside. The Brigadier orders everyone to hold their fire. The robot tells Sarah Jane to stay there while it starts to slowly stomp towards the Brigadier and unit. The Brigadier looks behind him and spots the disintegrator gun. He picks it up saying that for once he'll solve a problem without the doctor's help. He points the gun at the robot and fires. The robot starts to glow and then grow. It's basically as big as King Kong now. Remember what I said in the beginning about King Kong? Sarah Jane tries to run away, but she trips and falls, of course. The robot picks her up in its claw hand and stomps down the street, dropping Sarah Jane off on the roof of a church. It tells her to see what he will do to their enemies. It takes some steps towards the Brigadier and unit who begin to open fire. They lob some grenades and they unload a lot of machine guns. Basically the robot is still immune, it's just now giant. Unit falls back as the robot crushes a few soldiers and kicks over a few houses like they were made of balsa wood. Which they probably were. Lots of CSO here with the giant robot interacting with Unit. Remember what I said during the Planet of the Spiders and the use of CSO. The Doctor and Harry pull up in Bessie, with the Doctor carrying a bucket of the bubbling solution. Harry drives Bessie towards the robot while the Doctor is standing in the back seat holding up the bucket. They get close enough to the robot for the Doctor to throw the whole contents of the bucket onto the robot. It starts glowing as the virus appears all over the robot. Sarah Jane is yelling for some help, so the Brigadier orders Benton to go get her. As Harry and the Doctor return to the Brigadier, he asks if this stuff will work. The smiling Doctor points to the robot who is shrinking down again to normal size while crying in pain. The robot gets smaller and smaller until finally it shrinks to nearly nothing, dissolving. Back at Unit HQ, a depressed Sarah Jane is sitting in the lab as the Doctor walks in the door. He offers her a jelly baby to try and cheer her up and tells her that he had to do it. She nods and she knows that the doctor had no other option. He then tells her that they both need a change of scenery. He's leaving in the TARDIS and he wants her company. She agrees when suddenly Harry Sullivan walks into the lab curious what they're up to. The doctor convinces the old-fashioned Harry to step into the TARDIS and away they all go. The TARDIS dematerializes just as the Brigadier comes back to the room. And that is the end of Robot, my friends. What did you think of that story? Well, let's go through the numbers. Let's see what the people thought at the time.
Episode 1 pulled in 10.8 million, unsurprisingly. Episode 2, 10.7 million. Episode 3, 10.1 million. And episode 4, 9.0 million viewers. So let's keep in mind what I was saying during the review of Planet of the Spiders when I said that that when that story was an end to the unit era. However, this story had plenty of unit involvement. It was like three quarters unit. Now, I think it's fair to say that this was not the greatest of mysteries. I think the doctor had an idea that it was a robot almost instantly and just went along with the brigadier and unit until they were closer to seeing it themselves. It's awfully hard to put yourself into a mindset sometimes of where we were when the story was made back in 1974-75. It's a sort of laughable scenario today, but back in 1975 there was definitely a real mystique and curiosity around robotics. While the robot's voice is okay, I found that the design itself is kind of underwhelming. The way it clumsily stomps around makes it really hard to take it seriously, especially when the story takes off into King Kong territory during episode 4. There's even a three-second shot of Sarah Jane making a Fay Ray-like pose as the robot reaches down for her. I realize this is 1975 when it was made, but the robot costume does look like a children's Halloween costume. Speaking of robots and prime directives, I thought it'd be relevant to include Isaac Asimov's originally drafted Three Laws of Robotics from his 1942 short story called Runaround. The first law, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Second law, a robot must obey the orders given to it by human beings except when it violates the first law. And the third law, a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not violate the first or second laws. Speaking of Runaround, if you can find the entry for it in the Wikipedia, you might notice that the illustration of the story looks a little familiar. Now, a humanoid robot is a humanoid robot. There's only so many designs you can come up with. But maybe the design for this robot in Doctor Who was a nod to this illustration? No idea. Back to the actual Doctor. Compared to the first episode of Spearhead from Space, where it took most of episode 1 for John Pertwee to be up and about, with the Doctor even hiding under bed covers for most of that. In this story, the transition of the Doctor after the regeneration is fast. They spend maybe the first 10 or 15 minutes on him, and then it's right away into the mystery. I think it was a smart decision. The audience gets more of an idea of this new Doctor via the way he and the Brigadier are tackling the case. In other words, they create a show-don't-tell type of situation. Robot is a good story for Tom Baker as he nails the Doctor pretty hard on the very first, first one. He's got a sense of humor, he's action-driven, and loaded with curiosity, but also very serious. Sarah Jane is really showing off why she's so loved by the fans, pulling off a good deal of work here. She was really busy working independently quite a bit from the Doctor and the Brigadier until the end when they needed each other. Despite the crazy high viewing numbers, I'm giving this one 2.5 kettlewells out of 5. It's a sort of good opening story for the Doctor, it really showcases Tom Baker, but 
That's kind of about it. The CSO technology that I mentioned in our last episode during Planet of the Spiders is really a bit goofy in part four. The robot design itself is passable, but the more you see it, the less threatening it is. I think it worked really well during episodes one and two when you didn't see the robot. On the topic of the SRS group, which uses a very Germanic font typeface, I might add, is laughably small. Again, we get the lines from the Brigadier about how membership has been swelling, but then in the confrontation at the meeting hall, we see maybe 10 people tops. There's a shot of them running away when Unit arrives, but you can almost imagine that it's a trick shot, where they've got a group of people running out some doors and then quickly looping back in front of the camera, again, to make the escaping crowd look way bigger than it is. Again, part of the charm of Doctor Who is letting your imagination take over and fill in bits of the story. I'm really trying to tone down my inner critic. The idea of a mystery for the Doctor's first story is a really good one. It's a great way of putting the Doctor right into things as fast as possible. It's also a smart story move to surround the Doctor with people who are slightly familiar with the regeneration process, so that we don't have to go through the same, what's happening, is that the real Doctor, kind of questions again that we went through in the beginning of Spearhead from Space. Sarah Jane is presented in her usual smart self. Unit does get a lot of work in this story. And as with all unit stories, there's always one focused soldier that always zigs instead of zags and gets killed every single time. The other thing I really liked about Robot was that there was a great synergy between Sarah Jane and the Doctor. It was a good showcase of how each of them worked independently and then came together near the end of the story to work on solving the thing. I think it was a great, a great story for that. So what did you think of Robot? Would you come up with anything differently to introduce the fourth Doctor? Was it really obvious that it was Kettlewell from, from the beginning? Were you also thinking it was a robot almost right away? Anyways, that's it for me. My name is Eric, and this has been Summons from Gallifrey, where we've covered Robot. Tune in next time when we catapult seven years forward to Tom Baker's final episode called Legopolis. I'm looking forward to that one. It's going to be good. Have a good day, everyone. Peace.